This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There is a place for you here. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The first reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. The second reading is from the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not invisible. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, he received power of procreation, even though he was too old, and Sarah herself was barren. Because he considered him faithful, who had promised, therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many stars as many as the stars of heaven and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on earth, for people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. We now hear the holy gospel according to Luke, the 12th chapter. Jesus said, do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
So sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. For truly I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat. And he will come and he will serve them. And if he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This is God's word. You may be seated. Welcome again to Lord of Life Lutheran Church. Uh, my name is Grant Eckhart, and if you're visiting for the first time, you wouldn't know that I am not the normal pastor here. I'm uh, not normal in a lot of ways, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, Pastor Martin is on vacation uh, this weekend, and so he graciously invited me to come to preach and to be with you all. And I serve as uh, pastor of Jacob's Porch, which is your campus ministry uh, located at the Ohio State University, serving students not only from Ohio State, but also from Otterbein and Columbus State and Capital University. We're kind of a regional hub there. And um, this church and Jacob's Porch have been in partnership for many years. Um, in fact, I would say this is a hotbed of campus ministry here in this congregation and has been for decades. Um, two of the camp previous campus pastors were members here. If you've been a member here for more than 20 years, you'd remember Pastor David Hill, who was the pastor of Jacob's Porch, who was a member here. And then my predecessor, Pastor Jay Gamlin, was also a member here. And there's, there's so, so many people here. I mean, Troy came through uh, Jacob's Porch, and uh, he is uh, now our, our board president, and I mean, just all kinds of people, you know, here that have come through. And so with your partnership over these many de decades, Jacob's Porch has raised up and formed leaders and have sent them uh, to serve the church um, around this country. And Troy and I were noting this morning that there are now currently three Jacob's Porch student leaders who are now on the ELCA, that's our denomination, the National uh, Council. So of like 15 people, there's strong representation from Buckeye land, so go Bucks. Um, and as I was reading this text today, you know, you hear these words like the kingdom of God is yours. You see Jesus telling those who were not otherwise valued to come around a table and to eat and that he would serve them. And as I was digesting those words, uh, it brought a story to mind. And one I actually had briefly shared with your worship team when they came for a, some spiritual nourishment at Jacob's Porch. Not too long ago, uh, we had a scholar come to Jacob's Porch. We 
we have worship, we have service days, we serve the homeless in the evenings, but we also have some lectures and debates and all those kinds of things that are academically wonderful. And we had uh, Mark Allen Powell from Trinity Seminary, some of you may know him. He came out uh, to do a lecture series and Q&A with us. And so we had advertised it around campus. And uh, we put posters up that said, you know, come hear something interesting about Jesus and get free food, <laughs> you know. And so we had lots of people from the university faculty staff and uh, students come uh, that night. And it was a, it was a packed, house, packed house at Jacob's Porch. And I wasn't sure what he was going to teach on, but he taught on a parallel text to this of Jesus eating and sharing on the texts that you might be familiar with where it's known that Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. You've heard this before. Those of you who have been around for a while, in every gospel, sometimes multiple times in each gospel, Jesus is known and perhaps even infamous for eating with tax collectors and sinners. He's doing this a lot, and it's making people upset. Why? Well, because tax collectors and sinners weren't seen as those who would be righteous enough or holy enough to eat with. Now, when I heard Dr. Powell share that night, I learned some new things. I thought that tax collectors wouldn't have been valued as a dinner guest um, because A, just maybe some people don't like to pay their taxes, um, but B, you know, I knew that tax collectors were seen as turncoats. They were, you know, there's one guy who was sort of been Jewish and working for the Romans, collecting uh, money from his, his uh, you know, friends and family and passing it on to another country. So I can understand where that would create some tension. But that was the chief tax collector, and they're listed in Scripture and whatnot. But that's not who this common refrain in Scripture is referring to as tax collectors and sinners. See, the tax collectors were the ones that worked for the chief tax collector, the ones that were sent out to actually collect the money. Now, if you're somebody who enjoys reading Scripture, enjoys biblical study, this is a good time to be alive. Why? Uh, because today we have these things called search engines. And so biblical research is just taking leaps and bounds advances right now as material becomes available that would have been nearly impossible to do research on before because all ancient documents and knowledge are now scanned in and you can do 10 years of research that would have taken travel to other countries and libraries now from your home in much less time. And so new materials and studies are coming to light all the time. And one such study was on tax collectors and sinners. So Dr. Powell told us of one study, tax collectors. In all of ancient liter literature, tax collectors are described in three ways. As big, dumb, and stupid. And, you know, I kind of laughed the first time I heard this, but then he described what technically that meant in that time and in that place. If you were described with those three words, what that meant was that you had severe physical or cognitive disabilities. And at that time, 
if you had those particular challenges. People didn't want to be around you. It was thought that you or someone in your ancestry had done something wrong and it was being passed to you and this was punishment, and it was seen as contagious. So it was, don't get near to me. I don't want to catch what you have. So you can imagine the effect that this would have on anybody if you were ostracized completely and seen as an infection. You were on the street. Your family disowned you. Nobody wanted to be around you. And because of those challenges you faced and because of that ostracization, you wouldn't be able to really find a job or make a living. Except this was the particular group of people that the chief tax collector would hire to knock on your door to get your taxes. People would be scared enough to throw the money out the door, shut the door quickly. But make no mistake, these tax collectors were enslaved, manipulated, and abused by their master. These are the tax collectors. Who did Jesus eat with? The tax collectors. The kingdom of God is yours. Come to my table, he would say. But he also ate not only with the tax collectors, but who else? The sinners, right. Now again, I thought that sinners simply meant perhaps somebody who did a really bad sin. You know, they, they did something uh, that just made people shy away from them. But again, with the research they, have, that are, they are doing, they've discovered that that word sinners was a euphemism for something else. That word sinners meant something, again, very specific. And I'll be delicate with how I describe it. But it was basically women who were trafficked all around the Mediterranean. So we go back in history. At that time, in that place, the overwhelming majority of people were on subsistence level living. Most of them farmers, agrarian lifestyle. You had as many kids as you could to take over the farm to help work. But if one thing goes wrong, when you're at that level of subsistence, one crop is bad. One hailstorm comes and wipes things out. One round of locusts. Dad gets sick. Dad gets injured. The entire family economy collapses, and the family is in a dire place of potential starvation. Well, it turns out this was actually a common occurrence. Something would happen to dad. A crop would be destroyed. And so what would these families do? They would have to sell their young daughters into slavery in this way. And in the new research they have, it's gone way beyond what they initially thought. Way more of these young girls were in this situation. In the Galilee, their estimates are as high as 60% the young girls from ages 9 to 14 were sold in this way. 
So what we don't see when we read the scriptural text that would have been assumed by everybody at the time is that every time a city is mentioned, Capernaum, Bethel, you know, Jerusalem even, any of these cities that we are familiar with when we read scripture, what the people then saw that we don't know is that every city Jesus walked into would have been wall-to-wall sinners. Every street corner, every place. That would have been the background and context of Jesus' entire ministry. And then this is interesting. And I was kind of astounded when I'd heard this. Dr. Powell explained that secular historians are now doing research in this particular topic. Secular meaning these aren't Christian, you know, theologians, but these are secular historians looking at the evidence and um, studying Jesus kind of like a George Washington or Abraham Lincoln. Now, that's not what we do as Christians, but Dr. Powell agreed on some of the points they were making. What they are discovering, what they think was going on, is that Jesus and his disciples would enter into a village or a town or a city. And in that context, when a famous holy person, a miracle worker would walk into your city, that person was full of honor. And honor was the currency of the day. It was kind of like a credit score on steroids. And by sitting with somebody of great honor, it would rub off on you and your status would go up. You see how that works? This was very important at that day and age. And so the typical custom would be that somebody of honor would come into a town, the magistrates, the city leaders would come out, they would then first receive that honor, they would be raised up, they would dine. And we see this happening from time to time where Jesus does eat with Zacchaeus, who's a chief tax collector. But what secular historians are saying is that most of the time, when Jesus entered into a village with his disciples, he would set up a table in the middle of the town square, simple bread, fish, wine. And as the magistrates and city leaders would come out per custom to receive their due honor, Jesus would say, this is not for you. This is for them. And he would look around the town square to all of those young girls. To those who everybody else had kicked out, used, abused, and manipulated. And he says, this is for you, my child. And they would come to his table. He would feed them and he would say, the kingdom of God is yours. And you can almost hear their voices saying, me? You don't want me. Not what I've been through. You don't know. And Jesus says, no, I do know. And you are the one that is invited to this meal. After he had shared that, kind of looked around the room, and I saw a young 
student behind me, uh, she didn't come to Jacob's porch very often, but when she could, her father had died when she was young and she had a um, complicated situation. She was working two jobs to get through school and uh, she came when she could and I sat down next to her and she said, I'm, I'm sorry I haven't been here much. I said, that's okay. You don't worry about that. What's going on? And she said, one thing I haven't told you, Pastor, is that I was assaulted last semester, and it's been hard on me. My family, or my, my grades, my job is suffering. And then she said this. She said, I feel dirty on the inside and outside, but if Jesus loved those girls, maybe Jesus can love me too. We prayed and she sat quietly reflecting. And then I walked over to two young men that I didn't, hadn't met before. I think they were staff at the university. One was taking some classes. And I sat down next to them. I said, hi, nice to meet you. I'm Pastor Grant. They're like, yeah, I know. I said, well, well, what did you think? Why did you come out? And they said, well, we saw the free food. You know, we thought we'd come out. We didn't know much about Jesus. Thought it might be kind of a, you know, an interesting conversation. We could have a bit of fun with it. Whatever. I said, well, what did you think then? Was it like that? And he said, no. He said, I've heard a lot of things about Jesus. Most of them not good. But I've never heard something like that before. And then the gentleman next to him said, so you're telling me that you all believe that the creator of the universe is like that? And I said, exactly. And that's, that staff and student, they were baptized six months later at the porch because we simply need to tell the good news of who Jesus is because he is good. He is worthy of our worship and praise. He is worth following. And this is what we do every day at Jacob's Porch. And I know this is reflective of your values as well, accepting all, right? That we share these values. And like the Old Testament lesson said, who's going to be that next generation? This is what we do at Jacob's Porch. You bring them up. Through high school, we begin to partner with you in high school through our senior high events and your congregation brings your students to worship with us all the time. And then we take the ball from there and we continue that formation process. Until by the time they graduate, they've been drenched in grace and love and the word of God and they go beyond and serve. So thank you for your partnership with us. And thanks be to God for his love and his grace in Jesus Christ. Amen.